Welcome to the Dear Menopause podcast, where we discuss the menopause transition to help make everyday life a little easier for women. Hey, this is Sonia, and I am the host of Dear Menopause. I have an absolute ripper of an episode for you today. I truly believe this is one of the most inspiring conversations I have had in the history of Dear Menopause, perhaps in my life. You're going to meet Cherie Hargraves today, and Cherie is 22 and has eight years of menopause stories to tell you. Cherie, welcome to Dear Menopause. Hi. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be asked from the opposite side of the world. So you are in London and I'm in Sydney. So we're on opposite sides of the world. We were just talking about how we've got complete opposites in weather at the moment. Yeah, you're freezing. I'm like mega boiling hot. But I'm really excited to chat to you today about a topic that doesn't get talked about enough, particularly from someone your age. So why don't you give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and why you're here to talk to us today? So, hi everyone. Um, I am Sheree. I'm 22, and at 15 years old, I was diagnosed with something called premature ovarian insufficiency. And a lot of people don't know what that is, which is completely fine, but um. It's it's very, very similar to early menopause. All of the same symptoms of menopause, um, the same treatment, HRT, um, hormone replacement therapy. um, And yeah, I get the hot flashes and the night sweats, um, but all at the age of 15, it started for me. Wow. That is so incredibly young. Um, And must have been really difficult for you to navigate I would imagine. Yeah I mean at first I was just in complete and utter shock not knowing what the word even means menopause like I didn't I've heard I heard about it like through the grapevine of my like grandparents and my mum talking but like not didn't know what it meant didn't know what what came along with it um and definitely didn't think it would impact someone as young as me um I was convinced that it would only impact um like my grandparents I didn't even know it impacted people at the age of my mum that my mum was (laughs) Um, so I didn't I had no idea what I was heading into and the information that I was given was in my opinion very lacking I had there was I mean there's no there's no rule book to this um but some information probably would have helped (laughs) um I feel like I was I left the doctors with a little green slip for my prescription and had no idea what I was doing wow Sheree that is crazy that's that's crazy and almost would make me think it must border on malpractice to send a 15 year old young lady out into the world with just a prescription for HRT and 
being told that you have this um, syndrome that you didn't even know what it meant. Wow. You literally had no idea. So do you mind talking us through a little bit about like what actually happened for you when you were 15? So I'm going to make an assumption that you had already started getting your periods. No. So that's what a lot of people think. Um, The reason why I actually went to the doctors because I never actually menstruated um, like properly and I was, you know, going through emotions of feeling like the odd one out at school and I didn't get breast development and I was like really insecure about that the fact that I hadn't had a period. Um and I first actually went to the doctors at just 13. Um and I was because I was so scared of being different I mean a, a lot of teenagers and young children are so afraid of that and really want to fit in this specific mold um especially young girls I feel like um so at 13 I went to my mom and I said I haven't started my period yet it feels like everyone else has and I don't know what's going on And she was like, well, it's still a bit young, you know, you're still a little bit young to have it. I was a bit late. You might be late. So we just left it. Um, Still nothing, no spotting, no nothing. And by the time I was 15, I was like, enough's enough now. I like really, I'm feeling really insecure about it. I'm just going to go. And I'm just feeling really anxious about my health anyway. Like, I'm just thinking something's not right. I always feel like the the sick the sick teenager. Like, I'm mm-hmm. always really hot. And, like, I just, I feel under the weather a lot. I'm, I'm missing my, I'm messing up my sentences. I'm, like, a lot of these things were happening. And I just felt, what? like what is that like I just didn't recognize myself so went to the doctors and at first they did send me away and they said you're still really young you don't need to do any blood tests or anything like that you're completely fine it it happens and then a month later I was like no I think they're wrong like I, I just think they're wrong like I can't wrap my head around what's going on like something in my body right now is wrong so it sounds like the doctors were really focusing on the fact that you weren't menstruating so you weren't getting a period but not listening to you when it came to all the other symptoms that you were describing which we now know are symptoms of perimenopause and menopause yeah definitely I mean in hindsight I I mean there's 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 hundreds of symptoms um but in hindsight, I probably had 99 out of, out of 100. Like, I was oh. going through it. Like, I was, like, I suffered from vaginal atrophy. Like, I couldn't sit down for long periods of times in my exams. And, like, I couldn't wear tights to school. Like, I had to wear, like, normal, you know, like, trousers because, like, I couldn't, it was so uncomfortable down there and I had no idea why. And, you know, all the classics that, that everyone knows about, all the hot flashes and night sweats and um, 
you know, the brain fog and all of that, it was 10 times I felt like. Um, so when I finally got a diagnosis, I felt a relief that, that I wasn't going mad for one. Yeah. Um, but also in the same breath, I had no information. So I had to kind of piece those things together. And so Um, was that diagnosis from your GP or was it from a more specialist, hormone specialist? Yeah, so it was from an endocrinologist. Yeah. So okay. it was a hormone specialist. Um, because I had my bloods done at the GP and they were like, Oh, something's not right and obviously my FSH is really, you know, low and my uh no, high, sorry. I, high yeah. Yeah. High and my uh estrogen was really low. So yeah, so they 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 got me in with a specialist, uh, thankfully, and then they were able to diagnose me. But I've got to say they were quite insensitive when they were diagnosing me. Um, the first thing they said when I sat down in the chair, and my mum was sat next to me, they were like, okay, Cherie, you're infertile. You um, are going through something called premature ovarian uh, failure that they called it at the time. And I was just sat there, that, and they carried on talking. And after the words infertile and failure, I was just sat there thinking, am I even a woman? Like, what is going on? I was, I was just so shocked and like white noise hitting, heard my mum crying next to me. And I was just like, God, what the actual hell? Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, they're, they're, they would be really difficult words for any woman to hear. But when you're 15, like that, yeah. that's a pretty insensitive way to deliver that information to you. Yeah, I mean, kids and children weren't even on my radar. I mean, I was a child myself. You just wanted to have a period. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to know what a tampon was like. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't really care about, you know, sex and relationships. Like, I I was just more focused on when are my boobs going to fit in, like, come in. <laughs> I just want to be like everyone else. Yeah. Wow, that is um that's quite a story and I'm I'm so sorry that you had to to go through all of that and your mum as well to be there with you as well, you know, that must have been really hard for her to yeah. um you know, obviously your mum was probably thinking about you know your your what your life ahead of you was going to be like yeah. and the imp- long-term impacts that was going to have on you um whereas you're kind of more in the here and now. Um yeah. So what kind of happened after that? You got you got given a prescription for HRT. Yeah, so I got I got given a prescription for estrogen only at first. Um because my estrogen was really low and then when I they built my estrogen up in increments um from a really like small microdose all the way up to um you know a full dose um and then after I had my first withdrawal bleed um they put me on the combined pill okay so then i so then they wanted me to get into a cycle um and i also wanted that you know like all of my peers were on the pill and yeah. 
like that made me feel a lot more normal that I was on like the pill and everyone else was saying oh you've been taking your pill today and I'm like yeah and that made me feel a lot more normal because also I never told anyone so I never told my friends the only people in this world who knew at that moment in time was my mum and dad like my siblings had no idea like I didn't want to tell anyone I was so embarrassed and like ashamed I mean I'm the oldest sibling as well so I like wanted to be like the example and I felt like I shouldn't be sitting like setting an example of like someone who's like quote-unquote failed Mm -hmm. and so yeah so like at the beginning it was really hard but they put me on the combined pill and I thought like okay I'm feeling a lot more like other people but something still wasn't right like I just was still struggling more than my peers to get my work done and like my concentration was crap (laughs) and like everything was all over the show and I suffered really badly with bad eczema and my like mental health was at an all-time low and I went back to the doctor and I was like is there anything else that I can do And they also found that in the, so, you know, you menstruate once a month on the combined pill, right? Mm -hmm. And when it's progesterone only in the pill cycle, I was getting no estrogen. Like my body produced it itself, so I wasn't getting any estrogen. So 12 weeks out of the whole year, I was estrogen deficient and like that could have had massive effects on my bone health and heart health and brain health and um they found that out a few years in (laughs) um a few years in I was not having estrogen for a few weeks a year and um yeah so they decided to take me off the combined pill and put me on HRT. HRT. Yeah. Okay. So, so onto estrogen and progesterone at that point. Yeah, exactly. So I was taking progesterone tablets mm-hmm. um, in a cyclical fashion. And then I was, t- and then I had patches on constantly. constantly. Yeah. Um, okay. And did yeah. that improve some of the um, issues that you were having? Absolutely. I mean, I started to feel like some sort of bloody superwoman like you are a superwoman just so you know (laughs) thank you but I literally was like oh my god I've got to wear a jacket I can wear a jacket out and not be you know yeah like I was that friend that would wear a t-shirt when it's cold because I knew that what like a hot flush is going to come around the corner like I could finally wear a nice jacket out and not and not feel like oh my god I'm gonna have sweat everywhere and mm-hmm. look horrible. Um, but more than that, obviously, I'm I'm only joking. But 
you know, I, my skin started clearing up. I, I had started to have like absolute next to no eczema. Um, my like overall, ha- like my hair was thicker. Yeah. Um, like my breasts were like not as tender and like my brain would actually think for once <laughs> and yeah I just felt like I felt new like I was like more, more new anyway um and then a few years after something happened and my body either got used to it or stopped absorbing very well so last November um not the one just gone I went to my doctors in Manchester and I said something's gone wrong here like I'm starting to sweat at night and nearly wee myself in the middle of the night like there's a lot of things that are coming back um I also had vaginal estrogen as well to help me with uh, the vaginal atrophy. Atrophy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and that helped like heaps. So that was great. Um, but something went away basically. Yeah. And I didn't know what was going on. And instead of increasing my dose or changing my preparation or saying maybe we should think about tablets or maybe we should think about implants or whatever they said um we'll give you an ultrasound scan and I was like okay and we'll see how your womb is looking and I was like I mean that's not exactly what I meant to say I was more thinking about the symptoms mm-hmm. um but then they said your womb is too small we need to grow it and I was like okay I was thinking more about my hot flashes but and I'm already as you told me I'm very infertile so I'm I'm not completely bothered or you know I I kind of want to sort them now out you know Mm, yeah um and they were like, we need to pump you with all of this estrogen and then give you a like big dose of progesterone after three months to grow your uterus because one day you want to carry right. And I was like, well, now you say it like that, maybe I like should think about it more. And I was like, okay, I'll do it because obviously right now I'm not thinking about that. But maybe you're also only 22. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm 22 and I'm like, I'm not thinking about that now. But maybe in the future, I'll look back on this time and think, why didn't I do it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way it was sold to me anyway. It was like now or never thing, um, yeah. which I've learned since that it's not. Um, it's never too late. I mean, people go through fertility treatment a, mm. a lot older. Absolutely. Um, and they said, okay, we need to put you on 
X amount of estrogen and then um, X amount of progesterone after three months of estrogen. So I was like, okay. So I did it. I was experiencing the worst symptoms. My mental health was absolutely horrific and nearing the end of the site of the treatment plan was the big inducing of progesterone mm-hmm. and over the years of using progesterone i have definitely got an intolerance yeah um and my the high amounts of progesterone after having such high amounts of estrogen like almost sent my body into some sort of shock and I had to go home from London and like I needed to be hugged by my mum like I was like not very well and I called the doctors and I was like what have you done to me like I feel awful and my mental health has not been bad like this in years like I don't know what to do and he was like stop taking it like what are you doing stop taking it and I was like what do you mean stop taking it whenever someone says here's a treatment plan or here's an antibiotics you don't stop taking antibiotics halfway through like you finish out the plan like yeah what what and he was like well it's obviously it's obviously not working like something's not right like stop taking it and I was like, right, okay. So I stopped taking it. And then that's when the bleeding hit. And I was in A&E with morphine and gas and air. And I was bleeding immensely. Like I was I was wearing nappies. Like wow. my dignity was completely out the window as I'm crawling around A&E on my hands and knees asking for more pain relief. And that just, like, ruined my, like, whole idea of mm. wanting to do anything fertility-wise I as can well. Imagine. And we, were you with your family at this point or were you still in London? Yes, I was with my mum. Good. So that was good that I wasn't, like, on my own in London, you know. Yeah. And, like, I was really glad that I went home. And, yeah, that... And then after that whole debacle, I had to then start my HRT relationship and build that relationship back up with the medicine and like in like build my HRT back up. And yeah, it was a whole debacle that just should not have happened. Never have happened. Yeah, so there's like a lot of different stories like that throughout my eight years of diagnosis that just have like almost ruined my relationship with the medical system. Um, Imagine. Yeah, so there's like a lot of things like that that have just, yeah. So do you feel that a lot of these um times when you've come up against not being prescribed the right medication or dosage has been wrong or obviously all this advice around your womb and focus on you know being able to carry a baby later in your life has come from a place of um not enough education around 
yeah. um, POI and particularly for somebody as young as yourself? Yeah, I mean, that I feel like I am the most educated person in the room when I go to see the doctor. Like, wow. I mean, I've done two degrees and in both of those degrees, I have done massive research around early menopause uh, my first dissertation was around how the stigmas of older women, uh, how they impact younger women. And I interviewed, you know, 12 women and it was like a really fruitful dissertation. And then in my master's, I did a whole autoethnography about, about um, early menopause. And so I've basically read a lot. I've read a lot about early menopause. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, you know, listened to a lot of interviews and seen seen a lot of things. But so when I go into the when I go into the doctor's surgery, I'm I'm uh, not showing off, obviously, hmm. but more so about I I correct them if if I I hear that something like isn't very right. Um, like I've corrected doctors on. Um, like blood clotting risks about the patch and breast cancer risks and things like that. Um, a lot of the nice guidelines in the mm. UK are, um, crap. Not very uh, nice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> really, really, really bad. Um, and it rages, it, it makes me so angry um but yeah so there's no education basically that's such a long-winded way of saying there is absolutely no education for doctors especially for women our age who are younger um but I would argue there's absolutely zero education for older women like yeah, yeah. we have we we have a significant <clears throat> knowledge gap and education gap oh, in yeah. practitioners when it comes to menopause you know, on all levels. But I think that, you know, I feel very strongly that there is um, even more minorities where the education and the support is even worse. You know, we look at the LGBTQI community, we look at, yeah. you know, cancer survivors, which, you know, I'm a breast cancer survivor and it's been a, you know, struggle for me to find somebody that would prescribe me HRT because I just kept yeah. getting blanket nose. And I was like, well, no, actually, you know, if we look at the research and the evidence, and and if I am allowed to make my own choices, which as a growing woman I should be allowed to, um, yeah. but you know, so yeah, there's there's the cancer survivors, there's early menopause, you know, POI, and you know, yeah. there's so mean, you know, I mean, here black in Australia, women have our indigenous cultures exactly experience yeah. menopause completely differently to to um, Caucasians, and we need to be yeah. including everyone in the conversation. A hundred percent. I mean, HRT. HRT is so individual and like everyone's experience is slightly different mm. um there's not like a one size fits all with medication I mean even if you got me and another person who was diagnosed at 15 we would have like completely different mm. experiences like our bodies are different anyway and yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a journey. Um, but recently I have started testosterone. Awesome. Um 
Yeah, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> um, I feel like I've got my sex drive back and, like, I feel like a young woman and, like, my concentration is so much better. Um, fantastic. And I love that, you know, you're talking about how much you've struggled with your cognitive function and your concentration, yet you've just got your master's, (laughs) you've completed two degrees, and you're 22. Like, you really are an incredible woman. Thank you. Imagine what you're going to be able to do now that you've got your testosterone sorted. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I can't wait to do the PhD. (laughs) I can't wait for you to do your PhD. There are women out there that need you. Yeah, I know. I I definitely need to get around to doing it. Um, But a little break, maybe. I think a little break might be deserved. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you able to share with us any stats around um, so early menopause or POI, particularly in this younger cohort like yourself? Yeah, so it's one in 10,000 women uh, under the age of 20 um, in the UK, that is. Yeah. And I feel like even though that sounds rare, as as I say, it's say one in 10,000, it sounds really rare. But in actual fact, it's not. Mm. Like, I have met so many women and young girls since talking about my experiences online that it's actually a lot more common than you actually think. I mean, I never knew about endometriosis, never knew about PCOS or, you know, um, like women are born without a womb and like all of these things I had no idea about but the one thing that I definitely had no idea about is that I was feeling completely on my own had no idea about anyone going through any women's health issues and the amount of women that have been flooding through my dms who were diagnosed at 15 with POI and you know, or or even a bit older, like 20 or, or 30. And I never knew there were that many. Yeah, wow. And how wonderful for them that you, through your online presence, and that was how I found you and how we met. So you have an incredible Instagram account is where I discovered you um, called Life of POI, which looks like Life of Poi. You know, they have probably also been feeling so alone and so isolated and, you know, really like you were um, explaining to us earlier, like so not like your peers, like so kind of isolated from your peers as well, for them to have found you must just be such a lifeline for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is for me as well. Like I feel like it's a bit of therapy. Like I'm so transparent on there. I like talk about sex and relationships and I talk about um like all of the symptoms very candidly and I also just talk about being a 22 year old and just navigating London life and being 22 yep being 22 yeah and just you know being having normal struggles anyway um and I feel like a lot of people can relate to 
a lot of my content because they're going through it, but they've just never seen anyone else go through it. And I think Mm. that that is the key is that I really wanted to do it for my 15 year old self. Like I would have loved to have seen on TV or heard a podcast or, you know, like read a book and a character has that or you know like there's no representation yeah there's no there's just nothing in media completely you know what Um, the saying that they say is you know you you can't be what you can't see and so you know you are you have now created that visibility and um you know and and you're right it's so often where we're struggling with something and if we can't see like you say in any aspect of our lives whether it's the media the television the what we're reading you know whatever we're consuming um you know it is really isolating if you don't see that reflected back to you and you do then feel like you are the only person in the world that has this struggle yeah literally and I mean as a teenager as well like you think that the world is out to get you anywhere anyway yeah (laughs) yeah so you it's like times 10, you know. Um, I just I just was completely in the dark for so many years. And I feel sorry for my younger self, to be honest, like how, how ashamed I felt and how embarrassed I felt about everything. And it is, I can't even stress enough about how little those bullies at school would care about it in real life like they're not going to really care about these sorts of things like everyone is so concerned with themselves that your issues are like smaller to people who don't you know who don't care so talking about it was just like the right thing for me so four years ago I set up my Instagram um and before that moment of posting my first post I had only told my mum and dad oh um, wow so that was your coming out to the world yeah basically. literally yeah so I had a post written up and it just said everything that I wanted to say in one um and I posted it up and I said head over to this page if you want to know more mm-hmm. um and threw my phone across the room and freaked out and was so <laughs> what scared. Have I, done? I was like, oh my gosh, is it out there for everyone to see? <laughs> like, like I'm some sort of bloody celebrity coming out with a massive secret. I mean, no one, you know, it's it's not a massive, massive big deal, but for me it was like the biggest deal ever. Absolutely. Um, and I did that and I was so scared. And then I my phone was just like ringing and had so many messages and people were like, you would have absolutely no idea. Like, so sorry that you were going through all that and like, I, we couldn't be there for you. And yeah, it, it was, it was, it was very nice to hear like all of the comments and support. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well done. Well done. So what are your plans from here? I know that you um you do a lot of advocacy and with you know speaking like this, raising um raising awareness and um obviously in your studies you're working towards um I would imagine 
being a whole lot more helpful in the future. Yeah. So what are, what are your future plans? What what do you plan to do with your PhD? Um. So first of all, do my PhD. I think I, I think I'm going to do that at, at, at around 25. I want to have mm-hmm. a good break. Yeah. Um, like find my feet in London, enjoy London life. Um, like I want to do more work. I want to, I want to write a book. I want to, you know, I want to go on more podcasts and raise as much awareness as possible. I want to go into schools. I want to talk about it in sex education classes. I want to talk about it in the workplace I want to go to universities and and lecture I want to you know there's there's a lot that I want to do um just to spread more awareness to educate other people um I want to go on to board meetings in doctor surgeries like I want to like talk to NHS staff like yeah, I want I want to do a lot, <laughs> um, but it's one step at a time, and like it's also quite exhausting being like a a feminist and being someone who is constantly fighting the fight, and you have to recognize that sometimes it's okay to take a step back and really like look after yourself, um. But yeah, I definitely want to keep shouting and, you know, make some noise at least. Excellent. Well, you have doing that right now. And I hope that you're able to continue to do that in the future even louder. But yes, looking after yourself and um and not allowing yourself to get that burnout that does come from fighting yeah. the good fight, you know, consistently. But the world does need you. It needs your voice. <laughs> there are a lot of young women out there that need you, as well as, you know, educating people like myself and my audience on, you know, what what POI is and the impacts that it yeah. can have on, on women. Um, I think it's just incredible. Sheree, thank you so much for your time today. I have thank loved you. getting to know you. I have a son your age, so I just sit here oh, and nice. find it incredible that you've been through everything you've been through, but also you've achieved so much at the same time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Ah, awesome. My pleasure. Now I'm going to ask you a question, which I did not prep you for, but I wrap up a lot of my conversations with this question. And that is, what are you reading, listening to, or watching right now that is bringing you joy? Oh gosh. Um, so currently I'm reading a, it's quite a sad book, um, (laughs) but I'm really enjoying it um so it's all uh all the young boys all the young boys um and it's about the AIDS crisis um oh okay it's quite heavy um but it brings like such a beautiful light to something that is you know so tragic um but I'm 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 literally loving that book so much um so that is actually giving me happiness even though it is quite serious um and I, I I need to find something new to watch on TV. I mean, I'm 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 lost. I don't I don't know what to watch. I've got okay. I've got no ideas. I'm watching a show at the moment called Slow Horses, which is okay. It's on Apple TV, so you do have to have Apple TV to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's 
Really? Really good. Okay. I need there to I need to get back on watching series because it's a I, British show too. Oh nice. Yeah, I need to start watching watching more series. I've 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 I feel like I got to one stage and I've completed Netflix. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like you you've hit that level where there's just yeah. nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. You go. Maybe you need a new streaming platform then so you can yeah. go go find some new shows. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome, Cherie. Thank you so much. And I hope that um, we hear a whole lot more from you in the future. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts. And I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellawomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes. And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head. 